Our focus this afternoon is, is on Matthew 9, the verses 9 to 13. And I'll read those again with you. And there it's written, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. After the service, we'll also sing of the great mercy that God shows sinners by singing from Psalm 103, Senses 1, 4, and 5. We love the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How often have you heard someone, someone outside the church most likely, say, if you knew what I had done or have done, you would understand that I, I can't go to church. Or, church? I can't go to church. I've messed that up years ago. Or perhaps any other comment like this. It's the kind of comment that ends a conversation or at least that topic. It's true. You most likely don't know the past of the person you're talking to. You don't know what this person has done. But implied in these comments is the idea that, well, being able to go to church or not being able to all depends on what you've done. If you do the wrong things, you kind of missed your chance. And if you, won't be, and you will not be able to go to church again. It also implies that church is just for the people who have it all together, who have done the right things in the right order, who know what they're doing. It's the idea that church and Christianity are just for people that have their lives together. Now, I hope that you right away realize that if this, this is, of course, not what the gospel is about. But it does raise an interesting question. Why would someone think this? Why do, they, why do some people think that church is for those who have things together? Why do they think that they might be unqualified to come to church? And of course it comes down to their view of church. What is it about? And who's gathered there? Is it a gathering of the healthy or a hospital for the sick? Of course, if it's a gathering of the spiritual healthy, of the holy, then, well, then indeed there should be an admission uh, requirement at the door. You would have to have some spiritual health check before you come in. But if it's a hospital for the sick, then you're admitted based on your need and on your condition. So which one is it? Well, our, pas- our passage this afternoon reminds us again that Christ's church is not a gathering of the healthy. That Christ didn't come to save those who are healthy or strong, rich, the self-made men, that he came to save sick and weak people, sinners. We see that by calling and dining with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus teaches us that he came to save poor sinners. And we see first of all that Jesus calls a sinner, 
then he dines with sinners, and then lastly, that Jesus came to save sinners. So first of all, Jesus calls a tax collector or a sinner. I mean, who, who would have expected this? Jesus had just called, had just told the tax collector, Matthew, also known as Levi, to follow him. And Matthew did. Of all the people that had followed Jesus around throughout Galilee or throughout Israel, he had to choose Matthew to become his disciple. You could just could never really be sure of what Jesus was going to do. And perhaps this is the kind of talk that we have to imagine that went around Capernaum those days. Our, our passage this morning or this afternoon brings us to Galilee, where Jesus has been preaching and where he has been teaching for some time now. And many people have followed him around whenever, wherever Jesus went. And he has healed many sick people, many of these sick. And now Jesus has returned to his hometown. And he had just healed a paralytic. We read that in our passage. But more importantly, Jesus claims that he can forgive sins. His authority and power reaches beyond the physical that he could heal those who are ill. It reaches beyond that he could actually have the authority to forgive sins. That he can heal more than just the illness and diseases of the people. He can bring true healing, he shows, by forgiving their sins. And Christ shows what forgiveness really looks like in our passage in the verses 9 through 13. Because he shows us the power of forgiveness. And he does this all by calling, first of all, a tax collector, Matthew. And in general, we don't know too much about Matthew, about this tax collector. It's the first time that he, we know that he's the author of the gospel, but up, up to this point, he has not really appeared in the gospel. We haven't really heard of him up to this point. But what we do know is that he was a tax collector, and we know much more about tax collectors or people that work in a tax collector's booth. And we know that tax collectors were hated people for, and hated for some good reasons. First of all, they were tax collectors. Now, perhaps some of us might not like paying taxes today, but back then, of course, tax collectors could be particular, wicked, not just I mean, these men were often corrupt. The fact that they would overcharge people and no one could really do anything about it. And on top of that, considering his booth in Capernaum, Matthew would likely have been a a customs officer charging levies. So he would be the one stopping people on their way, stopping their carts, looking through their goods and making sure that they paid proper taxes. And it's not difficult to imagine that these kind of occupations, especially tax collectors and being and customs officers, that these occupations were not filled by the most sympathetic and endearing people of Israel. Their job description included intrusion, extortion, harassment, and often even the use of force. So even if you didn't have to pay your taxes, you most likely wouldn't like these guys. And second, of course, we know that tax collectors are collaborators. They worked for the enemy. They weren't, the tax, taxes that they gathered weren't for the benefit of the people of Israel. No, they were the, for the benefit of the Romans. And these men worked or did their job by the authority of the Romans. This was not 
So the people of Israel had reason to be angry with these men. Now this is the kind of man Matthew was, despised by the people of Israel, hated for the work that he did and for the man that he was. And he might have been wealthy, perhaps well off. He might have had some powerful and rich friends in the area, but it all came at a price because he was excluded from Jewish life, or at least religious life, perhaps church life. And people that had any self-worth would look down on him. The fact was that he was a sinner. And that came with the territory of being a tax collector. He made his living by extorting people. And he had to be a traitor in order to keep his job. But things change when Jesus calls him. Because here he is doing his job in the tax collector's booth. As any other day. The outcast of society. And Jesus calls to follow him. And this is one of these these shocking things in the Gospels. Why would Jesus call this man Matthew? And yet he does. A tax collector becomes one of Jesus' disciples, one of his trusted students. And here we just see that the doors of the kingdom and of the kingdom fully opened in this passage. And we see the, the power of forgiveness and of grace. Whereas just before Christ could send away a man this paralytic telling him that his sins have been forgiven, now Jesus can also call a man to himself, Matthew, a tax collector, a hated man and a sinful man, and make him his disciple. There is forgiveness, and he receives a new life as a follower of Christ. And he's acknowledged and even accepted by Jesus Christ. And of course, no other religious teacher would have done that kind of thing. They would not be able to deal with a person's sin, or with his past. But here Jesus is, calling sinners from the outskirts of society to follow him. And Jesus, or Christ, shows the riches of grace when he calls those who do not have their lives in order to follow him. For the fact is that Matthew might have been one of the most undeserving people in Israel to actually become a disciple of Christ. And yet, Christ calls him. And that's pure grace. And that is what we need. And it means that, for uh, even for us, that following Christ is not a matter of getting our lives together and then being able to follow him. But it means that we stop getting our lives together or trying to piece them together ourselves and instead find our lives in following Christ. There is no reason why Christ would have called Matthew except that it was by grace. And the fact is that this grace is beautiful and it is attractive because it shows all other sinners, even us, how great God's grace is for sinners. And it's therefore no surprise that when we read on that other sinners and tax collectors do come to Christ. For here is a teacher that reaches out to a tax collector. And we read also that after Jesus calls Matthew, other tax collectors and sinners do come to Christ, to join him. And they have a meal together at Matthew's house. And so Jesus even dines with these sinners. And now it's, of course, important to understand that meals, having meals together was significant also in ancient times. I mean, we still have that a little bit today, perhaps, that we wouldn't have just a meal with anyone. But in in our passage, a meal would have been especially important for relationships. 
To, meal, to share a meal with someone implies that you were very close with this person, that you also approved of their conduct, and that you weren't ashamed of being associated with this person. So you'd have to be careful who you ended up dining with. If you ended up dining with the wrong person, you would be associated with this person. And to be fair, I guess in some ways our society hasn't changed that much. If any pastor or elder or perhaps any church member ends up at a party which is thrown by someone that we know to be a corrupt, a corrupt politician or a businessman outside of the church, we would probably raise our eyebrows and wonder, what, what is he doing there? Why does he approve of this? And similarly, we would expect that Christ and the disciples had to watch who they dined with. But it wouldn't just be with anyone. And yet, look who they were dining with. It says they, they were dining, and as they were laying down at the tables, many tax collectors and sinners came to Christ. Now, previously, Jesus would heal the sick and many other people who are sick or came with their illnesses, or came to him. And so here we have Jesus calling a tax collector, and right after that, many other tax collectors and sinners come to Christ. They have seen or heard of the grace that Jesus showed Matthew, and they want to see it for themselves. And you can just imagine them thinking, if Christ showed mercy to Matthew, to one of their own, then he's not likely to send away other tax collectors and sinners even if they come to listen to him. And sinners join the feast as well. And it's, this is a striking title, isn't it? Sinners. These people aren't just known by their sin. Their identity is tied to sin, or perhaps being sinful, or Perhaps a particular sin, I guess, that they were known for in the community. And so we also, in the Gospels, just hear about them as sinners. And we would imagine that these are the ones that, people that usually had to stay on the outskirts. I mean, they're called sinners. These weren't the people that were known for their respectable family lives. They were known for their lives of sin. And they go to Jesus and they eat with him in Matthew's house. And yet they're not the only ones that show up at Matthew's house. And the Pharisees come to see what is going on as well. And if we know the Pharisees, we would imagine them to be appalled for a number of reasons. I mean, first, they know Christ as a teacher and a respectable man. And yet he's dining with the wrong crowd. He's dining with the outcasts of Jewish society. And he's not even keeping his distance, but he's actually sitting down with them. And eating with them. And this, that would have been unheard of. Sharing a meal with these people would just perhaps encourage them in their sin. Or at least it would be a mark on Christ's image. And besides that, the Pharisees would have been very careful not to eat with people that are associated with sin. Because that might make them ritually unclean. So instead of joining, they would rather keep their distance. Just to be clear, just to be safe. So that the clean and pure would stay clean. And that they would not become contaminated by the uncleanliness of these sinners. And nevertheless, they do end up near Matthew's house, as our passage points out. And as they see what is going on, they just have one question for the disciples. And we read it. 
In verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were surprised to see Jesus act in this way. They couldn't believe that he would actually sit down and eat with sinners and tax collectors. And their question is almost more of a challenge to the disciples. It has a sense of, how could a respectable man, and you notice that they call him teacher, not by his name, but by his title. How could a respectable man like this do something like this? Do such a thing? And with respect to his disciples, why would you follow a teacher like this? One who brings you to tax collectors and sinners. But instead of outright challenging Christ on his actions, they just asked his disciples. And yet from this response from the Pharisees, we we notice that they make a mistake. They think that God will come and help those who have it together. He will look after the people who do their best to be perfect and able to piece a life and righteousness together. The Pharisees do their best, so they should have God on their side. Similarly, they, they expected a teacher like Jesus to do the same. He should eat and socialize with those who have it together. To help tax collectors and sinners would just, be, would just be a waste of time. And it would make him unclean. Because, well, these men need to get it. These sinners need to get it together first. And the Pharisees, we see, just looked at people, looked at society and tried to put people in boxes. And the one is for the people that God would be pleased with, probably the Pharisees, and then the others for those who God would not be pleased with. On one side, we have the Pharisees. On the other side, we have the tax collectors and sinners. On the one side, people that God would love to have as his people. And on the other side, the rejects who actually need to smarten up before they can be considered God's people. And the Pharisees would say you have people that deserve to be in the church. The Pharisees and those that don't deserve to be in the church. The tax collectors and sinners. Those are the categories they're thinking in. But of course, what we realize is that these categories are based on outward appearance. And not on sin and grace that we all need. And by, by Jesus shows by his actions that such categories don't apply. What Jesus sees are sinners in need. And the only difference between a Pharisee and a tax collector is that the Pharisees don't see that they need this grace and this mercy. The tax collectors and sinners realize that they need Jesus, a Savior and a great physician. But they need grace. But the Pharisees don't understand that they need grace because they don't see their sin. They don't see their sin and they need. And they're just happy that they're not like these people, these tax collectors and sinners. And so we see that in this passage that Christ is not going to dine with those who come to him boasting of their great appearance or proud of their spotless reputation. The Pharisees and all of us do not need to come to the Lord offering a good outside a good appearance or a life that is somehow glued together. But that what he does require, David summarizes in Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And such a comment or such a summary requirement breaks down any categories we try to build up for ourselves. That means that coming to Christ as a sinner and coming with a broken and contrite heart, this, this doesn't leave any room for categories based on how good our lives are. It means that all come to God 
seeking the same grace and the same forgiveness. And this is what the tax collectors and these sinners were bringing to Christ. Their brokenness. They acknowledged that they needed grace and that they needed a Savior because they couldn't do it on their own. But perhaps you wonder if the Pharisees might at least have a point saying that, well, teachers like Jesus should at least watch out who they hang out with or who they dine with. That they should watch out for bad influences like a tax collector. Perhaps Jesus should keep his distance. And yet if we look at the story and we look at Christ's actions, it is clear that even Christ doesn't go out to the tax collectors and sinners, but that they all come to him. He tells Matthew to follow him, and which means that Matthew has to leave behind his life of sin and follow Christ. And when Jesus is in Matthew's house, the sinners come to Christ to meet him and to listen to him. And Jesus was there to preach to sinners because they were willing to hear it and to come to him. Jesus was willing to dine with them and to preach to them because that is what he came, came to do, to save sinners. And this leads us to our third and final point. Now, the Pharisees have this question and they might not have addressed their question to Christ, but that doesn't mean that Christ doesn't get to answer their question. And he responds with something like a proverb or just a saying that would have been common. Those who are well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And it's true, and we we all recognize this as true. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. If you're healthy, you don't need to go to a doctor. And Jesus just draws on something everybody knows and that he has also recently shown himself. While he was healing many people, a lot of the sick came to him. But is that all he came to do? Well, it's clear from the healing of the paralytic in the previous, um, in the beginning of the chapter, that Christ could do so much more. He can forgive sins, something that we are all far more need to be healed of our physical diseases. And Christ's healing of the sick showed that he could, that he could heal and forgive sinners. And so as where a sick came to him before, now it is time for those who need forgiveness to also come to him so that they may be healed. And in fact, Jesus responds to both those who are sick and those who need forgiveness in the same way. He responds to sinners sinners in the same way he responds to the sick. That he looks to them with a physician's or doctor's eyes. I mean, many of us, perhaps, will look at a wound or a deep cut or something like it, perhaps a disease, and we would turn around, at least step back, because, well, we think it's disgusting or our, our stomach might not handle it, might not handle seeing blood. Or perhaps we would just want to go away because we're afraid we get that disease as well. And that's the reaction of the Pharisees. They look at the sinners and the tax collectors and they take a step back. Those are sinners. They, don't want, to keep, they want to keep their distance so that they could be, stay pure. But a doctor sees something else. He sees someone who is sick, who needs healing, who needs help, help that he can offer. And so Jesus looks at sinners like us and also like these tax collectors and these sinners in the passage and he doesn't turn them away. But as a doctor, he cares for them 
and he gives them what they need. He forgives them their sins and he tells them about the good news of the gospel, that it is by grace that they have been saved so that even the greatest sinners are saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And he can tell sinners that they are healed because Christ himself took their sins upon him so that they do not have to carry it any longer. And Jesus right away also reprimands the Pharisees for not understanding this. He does for that not understanding the mercy that he shows sinners. He tells them, go and learn what this means. These are actually pretty harsh words for a Pharisee. Here the Pharisees thought that they had to teach Jesus a lesson about what is right and what a proper teacher should do. But now Jesus is telling them that they have some more learning to do because they don't get it. He is sending them back to school that they should know the scriptures better because scripture says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament to teach the Pharisees something that they should have known already. For Hosea 6 verse 6, the passage that Jesus quotes, tells the Pharisees to figure out if they are being like the Israelites of Hosea's day, who did all the sacrificing and all the strict obedience of the law, who perhaps made sure that they were pure and clean, but they forgot about showing mercy to their neighbor. Were the Pharisees, like the Israelites, forgetting about the mercy that they were supposed to show their neighbors, even repentant tax collectors, a mercy that should have come with keeping the law? And while the Pharisees are condemned by their own question, of course, for what did they see, when Jesus, what did they see Jesus do when they asked their question? Did they see Jesus having mercy on sinners? Or did they see him eating with the wrong crowd? Were they happy to see Jesus showing this mercy to sinners, to people that could now join again church and religious life? Did they realize that they were to show mercy just as God had shown them mercy? And Jesus finally explains how this all makes sense. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is the doctor of the sick, not of the healthy. He's right where he needs to be among the tax collectors and sinners. And we might wonder why Jesus says it this way. Does this mean that there are both righteous and sinners in the world? But Jesus, both people that need Christ and those who don't? Well, that's of course not what Christ means because in all cases we see that Christ is ready to point out the sin in every person's life, even the Pharisees. But Jesus does teach the Pharisees that they should not think that the Messiah would help them if they think that they have their lives together, if they think that they don't need help. And Jesus comes not to call or invite those who think that they have already arrived. He came to save those who acknowledge that they need a Savior. He came to save the tax collectors and sinners that gather around him to hear him. He saves sinners who come to hear the good news of the gospel as we also do here this afternoon. But that means we have to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have sin and are in need of grace. And so it's clear, Christ came to call sinners. He came to call those who do not have their lives together so that they might repent and seek their lives in Christ. The gospel is for the tax collectors and sinners. And when we 
When we understand that, we also see that there are so many people around us that also need Christ and need to come to Him. That there are no categories of deserving and undeserving people in this world. And yet, this is also confronting for us. Because let us be honest. Who do we in our everyday lives usually think that they deserve to come to Christ? Who are you more likely to share the gospel with? If you think of those people that you meet during the week. You can just think of your colleagues or neighbors or perhaps family, students, at, friends at university, or perhaps any other unbelievers. We probably realize we have this doctrine of total depravity that we are all sinful and that we all need grace. But who are we most likely to talk to and to share the gospel with? With the neighbor families that we get along with? With the neighbor family that raises their children perhaps quite well? Who have a stable marriage and seem to have things in order? I mean, we might even think like, oh, these are already the church-going types. They have the same priorities as us. And it's great if you can share the gospel with them. But what about the family across the street or that other family that doesn't have things together where relationships perhaps are falling apart? A family with a sinful past and where just sin seems to be piled up upon sin. And perhaps where they're piling up sin upon sin just to forget about their past and the hurt that they have there. Are we ready also to speak to them? To show them also to Christ. Point them to Christ. Because they are in the same category. And we have to wonder, who are tax collectors and sinners in our lives that desperately need to understand that Christ is merciful and that he saves sinners and tax collectors? And we can just look at Christ's act, Jesus' actions and see the crowd at his feet. These are the outcasts of Israelite society. But Jesus shows them mercy. He preaches to them because they are sinners. And they acknowledge it and hear the gospel. And so Christ's church is not a gathering of the healthy, but it is a hospital for the sick. And it is for sick, poor sinners that he came. And it is for poor, sick and poor sinners who come to him, the great physician for healing. Jesus calls tax collectors and sinners to come to him and find what they need most. The forgiveness of sins. And as a true doctor, he does not turn his patients away, but he looks upon them with mercy and he heals them. He has compassion on them. And he gathers around himself a congregation of lowly sinners who desperately need a Savior. And he calls them and he dines with them. And he saves those who trust in him because he came to save sinners. Amen.